21, we are, um, it's on page 1,118. Um, we're going to be continuing our series as we journey through the book of Acts. Obviously, it's a kind of a plotted history of the first 30 years of the early church as um, the gospel was taken out of Jerusalem. It was taken to Judea, Samaria, and ultimately to the ends of the earth. And actually, this morning, we're seeing a little bit of Paul's journey as he journeys back into Jerusalem. It's actually the end of his second main missionary journey. It's titled in the, in the Bible here, On to Jerusalem. And I kind of added a, a little bit of a tagline. But actually, it's not just about going to Jerusalem. This was about the gospel to the ends of the earth. And when we left Paul uh, last week in Acts 20... Uh, he was kind of traveling down uh, the west coast of Turkey, and he ended up uh, staying in a place called Miltus. And um, these words were kind of the end of Acts 20. It said this. It said, And now, compelled by the Spirit, I am going to Jerusalem. Not knowing what will happen to me there, I only know that in every city the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardships are facing me. However, I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task that the Lord Jesus has given to me, the task of testifying the good news of God's grace. Last week, Matt told us that Paul knew his journey was going to be full of hardship, but he was compelled onwards. He had a belief in him that he was acting in and by God's will. And Matt made the point that as Christians, we, we will experience hardship. There will be difficulty, and some of those will be as a result of the fact that we are Christian. But in that, we have the promise of God's grace to us. And we need to have that kind of overriding kind of truth in our hearts as we read this passage, that God's grace is for us. It's been poured out for us. And so let's read. Uh, we're going to split the passage in two chunks. It's a fairly meaty section. And actually, these last kind of eight chapters are a lot of Paul doing a lot of journeying. Paul went here, Paul went there, and sometimes we've got to dig out what it's trying to say to us. It says this, After we had torn ourselves away from them, we put out to sea and strailed, sailed straight to Kos. The next day we went to Rhodes and from there to Batara. We found a ship crossing, crossing over to Phoenicia, went on board and set sail. After sighting Cyprus and passing to the south of it, we sailed to Syria. We landed at Tyre, where our ship was, un was to unload its cargo. We sought out the disciples there and stayed with them for seven days. Through the Spirit, th spirit they urged Paul not to go to Jerusalem. When it was time to leave, we left and continued on our way. All of them, including wives and children, accompanied us out of the city, and there on the beach we knelt to pray. After saying goodbye to each other, we went aboard the ship, and, then and they returned home. We continued our voyage from Tyre and landed at, at Ptolemais, where we were greeted by brothers and sisters, and we stayed with them for a day. Leaving the next day, we reached Caesarea and stayed at the house of Philip the Evangelist, one of the seven. He had four unmarried daughters who prophesied. After we had been there a number of days, a prophet named Agabus came down from Judea. Coming over to us, he now uh, took Paul's belt, tied his own hands and feet with it, and said, The Holy Spirit says... In this way, the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem will bind the owner of this belt and will hand him over to the Gentiles. When we heard this, we and the people pleaded with Paul not to go to Jerusalem. 
Then Paul answered them, Why are you weeping and breaking my heart? I am ready not only to be bound, but also to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. When he would not be dissuaded, we gave up and said, The Lord's will be done. After this, we started on our way to Jerusalem. Some of the disciples from Caesarea accompanied us and brought us to the home, um, home of Manasseh, maybe. It's always good just to go confident, isn't it? Uh, that one I was unsure of. When we were to, where we were to stay, he was a man from Cyprus and one of the early disciples. When we arrived in Jerusalem, the brothers and sisters received us warmly. The next day, Paul and the rest of us went to see James, and all of the elders were present. Paul greeted them and reported in detail what God had been doing among the Gentiles through his ministry. When they heard this, they praised God. They said to Paul, you see, brother, how many thousands of Jews have believed, and all of them zealous for the law. They have been informed that you teach all the Jews who live among the, among the Gentiles to turn away from Moses, telling them not to circumcise their children or live according to our customs. What shall we do? They will certainly hear that you have come, so do what we tell you. There are four men with us have made a vow. Take these men, join the, in their purification rites, and pay their expenses so that they can have their heads shaved. Then everyone will know that there is no truth in these reports about you but you yourself are living in obedience to the law. As for the Gentile believers, we have written to them our decision that they should abstain from food sacrificed to idols, from blood, from meat to strangled animals, and from sexual immorality. The next day, Paul took the men and purified himself along with them. Then he went to the temple to give notice of the date when the dates of purification would end and offering would be made for each of them. Let's pause this there. This morning, I want to look at five distinguishing kind of features of Paul's journeys generally, but also that we can pick out from this in particular kind of journey towards Jerusalem. So we're going to whiz through them. They're not particularly related to each other, but maybe something in there will kind of get hold of your heart and say, ah, I really want to understand that more. Firstly, Paul worked out gospel mission in genuine partnership. He, he didn't seek to do this on his own. Verse 1, he tears himself away from the believers, that kind of sense of he didn't want to leave them. Verse 3, he lands in this place called Tyre where he meets brothers and sisters where he stays with them for seven or so days. Verse 7, he's greeted by the, the brothers and sisters there. Now, as he travels down to Caesarea, he meets Philip, the evangelist, who we first met in Acts 6. And in verse 17, he finally arrives in Jerusalem. And how is he greeted? He's greeted with arms open wide. He is warmly greeted. See, Paul knew all these people from his previous journeys. He'd, he'd stayed with them. He'd met up with them. He'd worked with them. But ultimately, it had been about him partnering with them to start and establish the fledgling church across all the regions. He wasn't just traveling along booking himself in at the next Airbnb. He wasn't saying, where can I stay to make my journey a little bit easier? He genuinely wanted to stay with these people, to love them and to grow with them and to, to strengthen them. And the same is true for us. The mission we have here in Paul and Bournemouth is, is not meant to be done in isolation. In fact, we would, as Gateway Church, we believe that we cannot do it in isolation and it would be a dangerous place for us to be in. I thought it would be just helpful to talk about a few of the, the genuine partnerships that we have around the globe here. So if we zoom in on the states there, how much have we been blessed by 
Donnie Griggs and Ryan Marshall over in North Carolina, how much they've come and strengthened us. Or PJ up in uh, Washington, D.C., kind of providing so much of uh, our literature and some of the ways we do things, so much of a, a rich blessing to us. Or across in South Africa where Lex Lazoidens and some of the team out there have really helped us sharpen and strengthen our evangelistic edge. How good it is to, to partner with these people around the globe and be blessed by them. But it's, it's also it's closer to home as well. Across in Sherbrooke with Samuel and Veronique. Up in Scotland with Ian and Lindsay planting a church. Kind of they're partnered with us. Or up in Newcastle um, with the Dusk, they're coming to the camp with us at New Day, and SLA coming down to lead worship with us. We are, we are partnered together on a mission, and we are linked together. It's like Paul, we could travel around these places, and we would want to stay with them, not because it's a place to stay, but because we love them, and we're caught up on the same mission that they are caught up on. And we should also be praying for our churches locally, too, across Paul and Bournemouth, those who love Jesus, who, who preach the Bible, that they would prosper, that they would see fruit. Because the more people that come to know Jesus and are affected by the gospel, the more our town will change. And so we are caught up on partnership, and that was a distinguishing feature of Paul's journeys. He didn't want to do it in isolation. Secondly, prophecy. Now, this um, passage speaks a lot about prophecy, and you, we could get caught up in trying to unpick what was going on a little bit too much. But just kind of just some uh, headlines to start with about what prophecy is. Prophecy is a, a message inspired by God. 2 Peter 1 verse 20 speaks um, of prophecy as words spoken from God as if they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Secondly, prophecy is a spiritual gift. It's a spiritual gift lifted in 1 Corinthians 12, meant for the building up of the church. Prophecy is also meant for our good. In Corinthians, it says that it's the common good of the church that we prophesy. Prophecy should be something which we desire, that we, we, we yearn for, that we want to see in place. That's why on a Sunday morning, we have a microphone out and we have someone leading the meeting. We want to hear what God's saying to us here and now, and so if ever you've got to a point you think, I really think God's speaking to me, why don't you come and chat to one of the, the leaders at the front and say, I really feel that God's speaking to me. Because actually we believe that God's word is for now. And prophecy should also be weighed, which I think is what we're going to kind of get into here in terms of how Paul kind of unpicked what the four daughters and Agabus were saying to him. And when you come and talk to one of the leaders here leading a meeting, they're often asking themselves these kind of questions. Does it, does it glorify Jesus, is number one? Does it line up with Scripture, number two? Is it for the common good of the church, or is it more personal? And, we're, and when we let someone up to the front, we, we kind of weighed those things, because actually we, we want to kind of line those things up first, and we want to hear from God. So what's going on for Paul here in Acts? Well, he's visiting some of his old friends, and he comes to this place called Tyre, and Agabus comes to him, and he brings this picture, and he comes, and he takes off his Paul's belt, and he ties it around his wrist, and he says, this is what's going to happen to the person who owns this belt when they go into Jerusalem. And this seems somewhat at odds of what, to what Paul was being called to. He felt 
called by the Holy Spirit to go to Jerusalem. And then you get this prophetic word from Agabus, which says, if you go to Jerusalem, these are the things that are going to happen to you. And so what's, what's going on here? Well, I think it's about interpretation. It's about weighing these things. In fact, if we, we read on, these things that Agabus prophesied were going to happen. Paul is going to be arrested. He is going to be bound up. But Paul doesn't find that these are hard for him to stomach. He is ready to go. He is ready for those hardships. And if you look at the, the switch between verse 11 and verse 12, it's kind of the prophetic in verse 11, and then in verse 12, it's the human interpretation. Agabus comes and says, these things are going to happen to you. And then the people say, don't go to Jerusalem. We don't want you to go. What we see here is God's insight through the prophetic, along with human interpretation. However, Paul knew better. He knew what God was calling him to. He knew the mission that God had for him in spite of the fact that these things were going to happen to him, in spite of his, his friend's best intent for him. He was determined to press on no matter what. Thirdly, Paul knew opposition. Let's uh, pick up in verse 27 and read down to verse 36 together. When the seven days were nearly over, some Jews from the province of Asia saw Paul at the temple. They stirred up the whole crowd and seized him, shouting, fellow Israelites, help us. This is the man who teaches everyone everywhere against, our, against people and our law and this place. And besides, he has brought Greeks into the temple and defiled this holy place. They had previously seen Trophimus and the Ephesian in the city with Paul and assumed that Paul had brought him into the temple. The whole city was aroused and the people came running from all directions. Seizing Paul, they dragged him from the temple and immediately the gates were shut. While they were trying to kill him, news reached the commander of the Roman troops that the whole city of Jerusalem was in uproar. He at once took some officers and soldiers and ran down to the crowd. When the rioters saw the commander and his soldiers, they stopped beating Paul. The commander came up and arrested him and ordered him to be bound with two chains. Then he asked who he was and what he had done. Some in the crowd shouted one thing and some another. And since the commander could not get at the truth because of the uproar, he ordered Paul to be taken into the barracks. When Paul reached the steps, the violence of the mob was so great that he had to be carried by the soldiers. The crowd that followed kept shouting, get rid of him. Paul knew that opposition was coming when he entered Jerusalem. There was the prophetic word over his life that these things were going to happen. He knew the kind of uproar he was stirring, but it didn't stop him to going. And as we kind of bring this series in Acts to a close, the writer Luke will spend kind of the final eight chapters kind of testifying and documenting Paul's innocence, a man who was good going about God's work, going from city to city, who was ultimately taken and led off to prison. And it all goes back uh, to the debate about who God's chosen 
people were. The Old Testament documents how God called a people to himself. And these people are the Jewish people. And it talks about their story being taken out of Egypt and into this promised land. And regardless of how many times they got it wrong and messed up, God was still calling a people to himself. And in in the New Testament, God sends Jesus. He sends another man to call a people to himself. And this time, it wasn't going to be saved through sacrifice or ritual or law, but salvation was going to come through his own sacrifice. And this is where it got difficult for the Jews, that God was about a bigger work in sending Jesus. It wasn't just about calling the Jewish people to himself. It was about calling all people to himself, or all those who believed. And as a result of this kind of controversy, the result of this change in message, the Jews were in uproar. They did not like the fact that they were going to have to share, that it was different to how it was before. And they get Jesus and they crucify him on the cross. They say, we're not going to have this man claim to be God's son and claim to have another way of knowing God. And ultimately, Jesus is killed on a cross. And as we read the scriptures, we know that Jesus defeats death. He fulfills scripture. He rises again. And this time, he promises the Holy Spirit to us. And it says that whoever believes in him will not have to go to the temple to find Jesus, but will instead be a temple and will have the Holy Spirit living in them, the very presence of God in you and me. And as this message starts to go out, that we are instead the temple of God. The Jews rise up and they seize Paul and they, they say, that how could, how could the Gentiles be God's chosen pe- people? And chief among the Gentile preachers was Paul. He was the man who was called to go out to preach to the Gentiles, a man who had once persecuted Christians, miraculously converted on that Damascus road in, in early Acts 9, and now preaching the gospel around all of the areas of Asia and Turkey and seeing people saved. And the the Jews didn't like it. Who does he think he is? Who does this guy, Paul, think he is, saying that they can experience God by just accepting Jesus? And that's how our our hero, our, our main character of the story, becomes a Jewish villain. He's arrested, he's taken in, and he, he's faced huge opposition. And don't miss the, the symbolism in verse 30. It says, they dragged Paul from the temple gates and immediately the gate, through the temple gates, and immediately the gates were shut. And Luke wants us to see that this is very symbolic of how it is when we reject Jesus. Fillmore, he says this, he says, the mob slammed the temple gates shut on Paul and his gospel, and in doing so, provide a case study in what happens to those who reject their place in God's story. They prefer to turn their back on God rather than watch him turn his face towards the Gentiles. Let's put um, this story in context for us this morning. We obviously haven't got that huge divide between Gentile and Jew in our kind of culture, but we do have a message of salvation, that the only way that salvation comes is through Jesus Christ. And each week we will unashamedly get up here and and say that 
the only way that you can know salvation, the only way that you can experience all the grace and the mercy of God is to say yes to Jesus. There is, there is no way that you can save yourself. There is no way that you can be good enough to purify yourself from the things that you've done wrong. And that is an offensive message. It's as offensive now as it was 2,000 years ago when Paul first preached that message. And Paul experienced opposition. He experienced ridicule. He experienced persecution. And we should experience, should be ready for some of that experience today. Luckily for us, it probably won't mean being thrown into prison. It probably won't mean being beaten and having to be dragged away for his own safety. It's probably not going to mean that for us. But it might mean that there's some things that we're excluded from. It might be that our, our reputation gets a, a kind of tarnish. It might mean that uh, we have people roll their eyes at us and call us names and say that we're crazy and loony. That might be our kind of experience of opposition. But if you're a Christian here this morning, we're, we're called to so much more than opposition. We're called to obedience. See, Paul demonstrates an unwavering obedience to God's call. Every signpost that he'd been given was to not return to Jerusalem. Do not go to Jerusalem. And yet he wanted to go. I don't know if you've ever have something that you, you genuinely hate. Now, it's a little bit cliche, but I, I genuinely have a hate of going to the dentist. I, I, I really dislike um, everything about the dentist. Now, a few years back, I'd, I'd had a kind of a botched thing on my tooth happen, and I just didn't want to go, and it's got the, the pain got so excruciating, I, I hadn't registered a dentist, I didn't know where I could go. Uh, my wife spent a whole day phoning 20 different dentists to find someone who would see me straight away, and even as I walked in, I was like, this is just going to end with someone drilling at me, and uh, I just genuinely hated going, and do you know what, we can perhaps feel like that from time to time when God's call is on our life, but, I know it's for my good. I know it's for my good, but I'm finding it really hard. You see, Paul understood the physical and the emotional cost that he was going to have to face when he returned to Jerusalem. I think he knew that ultimately his, his journey was going to end up with being bound and beaten and killed. But he still was obedient to God's calling. Tim, Tim Keller says this. He says, if we obey God, what is the fear? He says, if I obey God, I will not be happy. That's the same lie that Satan told in the garden. Nowhere in the Bible does it say that obedience will lead to happiness. Nowhere in the Bible does it say that obedience will lead to a, a hardship-free life. Obedience means dying to yourself. But when you think of all the things that we have to gain by, by choosing to die to ourselves, we find the grace and the mercy of Jesus. It's kind of a no contest situation. Jesus spoke to his disciples. He said this, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? 
living a, a Christian life in obedience, it might make life harder. It might make things more tricky. You might have to put up with being left out or, or speaking up when you really don't want to. But you gain the never-ending, all-encompassing grace and mercy of Jesus in your life who lavishes it upon you and will one day call you home to a place where there are no more hardships and no more suffering. For Paul, um, his, his journey was one of obedience. He understood that it, the, the journey he was taking was, was totally worth it. But it was also one of gospel opportunity and gospel adventure. And this is the kind of uh, what we're caught up on. He was returning to Jerusalem, but it was more, more than just a return to Jerusalem. It was about a, a message to go to the ends of the earth. And as he returned into Jerusalem, he was kind of had stories to tell. The guy had been shipwrecked. The guy had seen thousands give their lives to Jesus. He'd, he'd broken bread with his brothers and sisters. He'd seen people miraculously give their lives over to Jesus. He'd seen people being healed. He was, he was full of stories. He'd been on an adventure because he'd been obedient to God. He'd, he'd given everything for the gospel. It says this in Philippians, it says, But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him. For Paul, knowing Jesus was about being on an adventure, was about being on an adventure of faith, and it was totally worth it. Paul had to count the cost, and we have to too. To take up our cross and follow Jesus. It wasn't a, a legalistic shackle on his wrist, which, which kind of bound him down, but was instead about freedom. I wonder if you could fast forward to the end of your life. What stories about adventure of faith will you be able to tell? What things will you look back on and say, I really went on an adventure with God there? Or will it be about the next series on Netflix you're going to binge watch over the weekend? The world tells us that a comfortable life is one of success. We're comfortable enough to have the house we want, comfortable enough to be able to buy the food that we need, to have the friends that we want. But actually, that life doesn't get hard, but that's not what success looks like for the gospel. Success in the gospel sees you loving Jesus with all your heart, knowing him deep down and having your bodies be a temple of God. It's about going out and spreading the good news of Jesus Christ and saying, I love him so much that no matter what I can do, I just can't help but share this message. It means that you're going to take one of those belief flyers and say, actually, I know someone who know, needs Jesus so much because I found him and I want to be on an adventure and I'm ready to face whatever opposition that person might throw back in my face because actually I have something of great worth. I have found Jesus and have known him. And if you don't know Jesus this morning, that's what you are being called to. Don't, don't slam the door shut on an invitation to know Jesus if you've never said yes to him. 
you're being called on an adventure of faith. Maybe that's why you're here this morning. God loves you so much that he, he sent his own son to die in your place for the things you've done wrong. He gave up his life so that you could know life. A man who lived a perfect life, who walked on this earth, willingly went to the cross and died the most excruciating death so that you could say yes to Jesus. And so Paul was journeying back to Jerusalem. He was visiting friends. He was caught up on partnership. And that's what we are here as Gateway Church. We're a church caught up together on a mission, not to just Jerusalem, to to this town, but ultimately to the ends of the earth. And we may face opposition. We may face ridicule. But actually, when we are obedient to God, when we say, God, I'm going to trust you for what you've got for us. I'm going to listen to your voice. God, would you come and speak to us by your prophetic words? I'm going to go and I'm going to live my life as adventurers for you. Maybe you here this morning and you just feel, I've just got a little bit comfortable. I've not really asked God what he's got next for me. The thing about Paul is he kind of knew his journey, didn't he? He knew in his heart that Jerusalem was the next place to go. He was convicted and and committed to going there regardless of the risks. I wonder what God's got for you over the next few years. Where's God calling you to? Is it to, to live a life like this, like Paul? Or have you just got a little bit comfortable? And so let's be like Paul. Let's be obedient, even if it costs us. Let's live for him. Let's go on an adventurous adventure of the gospel together as a church. Let me pray for us, and then we'll continue to worship and respond to some of these things. Father, I thank you for your, your grace to us, Lord, that we were dead in our sin, but you have poured out your mercy, and we are instead live in the freedom that you've given us. Lord, Paul sets an example of how to live and how to give up everything for you. And for us, that can see so far away. It seems so distant. But, it's, but God, would you do it amongst us? Would you teach us what it is to, to be obedient to your call, to do what you are calling us to? Lord, would we be prepared to face opposition for your gospel? Lord, would you present before us this morning gospel opportunities? Lord, would we... As we go to work or meet our friends and family, would you give us opportunities to go on an adventure with you? Paul gave up everything, and we want to look to, to that model and say, we're going to look to, to what he did, and we're ultimately going to look to you, Jesus, as the one who sacrificed himself. So, Father, would you come and be amongst us as we worship? Lord, would you be revealing yourself to us? Would you be girding our hearts with that strength, to be obedient to you, Lord Jesus. Amen. Why don't we, why don't we stand? Let's stand together. Let's sing that song that's worthy of every song we could ever sing. And uh, just recommit that, Jesus, you're worth it. You're worth the sacrifice. You're worth giving everything for to finish that race.
every song we could ever sing worthy of all the praise we could ever bring worthy of every breath we could ever breathe we live for you 